This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We are obviously in the middle of a pandemic and we <laughs> okay. have massive things going on in every direction. And we just got to hear from Warren Buffett this weekend. Mm -hmm. And I think he had quite a lot to say, particularly between the lines. And I think it's going to be really valuable for us to, to chat about that today. So let's do that. What do you say? Wow, we're diving right in. This is so unusual for us. I, mean, no I love it. Here. This is there's some serious things going on out there and we need to talk about them. There are so serious things. It. So it was yeah. the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting on Saturday. And this is normally an enormous Woodstock of capitalism type of convention in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm wearing right now my shirt that I got there last year, which was the these the Woodstock of Capitalism shirt. You got a good honor. shirt. The one I got there last year wasn't nearly so nice. I did well the 5K thing, you know. I didn't oh, like yeah. the shirts that much. <laughs> I this like one, yours better. <laughs> this one's pretty awesome, and it was a gift from a friend, so I love it. Um, so yeah, so it's usually this like fantastic gathering of investors and shareholders from all over the world and has been growing and growing and growing every year. But obviously this year it was not canceled, but the the gathering part of it was canceled. So they put it online and streamed it live on Yahoo Finance. If you missed it, you can still watch it. It's still up there on Yahoo Finance. They have the whole thing. It's about a five and a half hour video, including the pre-show and the post-show. And it's worth watching because it was sort of an interesting, different situation. <laughs> so usually it's Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger on stage together and that's it. This year it was Warren Buffett and Greg Abel, who's one of the, I don't know what his exact title is, but I sort of consider him to be a v, be a vice president-ish person. He's kind of like in charge of all the stuff below Warren and Charlie and sort of next to Ajit Jain and Ted Wexler and Todd Combs. And, um, and he was the closest geographically. He was, apparently he lives about a two hour drive from Omaha. So he's the guy who drove in and, and was on stage with Warren. And what I thought was so interesting about this is that they kept their commitment to the basketball arena where they have the meeting every year. And they went ahead and set up their table the way it looked like just every other year and, and put all the cameras in there. And it just was this very strange, empty set with nobody there except for this table with two guys. <laughs> and that's what's on camera on Yahoo Finance. It's so just strange. It said, I mean, there was a lot going on there um, that I think is really important for, for all of our listeners to understand. Um, and I, I want to kind of dive into that. You, you mean want, a lot wanna... going on with the setting? 
No, a lot going on with what Buffett was saying. Oh, well, yeah, I was um, just giving the setting. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good setting. So setting nice. done. Okay, so move. <laughs> You're like, fine, whatever. Right. Let's get to it. <laughs> but I think, I think the setting is important because the way he talked was different than other years. So go ahead. Yeah, I think the way he talked was vastly different than other years. If you'll remember back in 2008, um, he was really busy buying up companies in in the in the drop and he was very very out front about it he said um you know we we are jumping in there and um and you know we're buying now and what he said this time is we haven't made any purchases we are we haven't done anything because we don't see anything attractive to do mm-hmm. and he's holding on to his capital he basically says he wants to make berkshire like stay a fort knox Mm-hmm. And the implication there is, I think, well, I shouldn't say it's scary because uh, essentially what he's saying is we don't know what's going to happen. And the yeah. range of possibilities of what could happen are enormous, um, which means that the range of possibilities includes what Ray Dalio thinks is going to happen, which is we're already in a depression. So I think right. Buffett is taking that into consideration and saying, you know what? If we're going to start putting capital to work, um, we can only do it when we're quite certain that Berkshire is solid. Um, we've got $137 billion. We have to make sure that Berkshire is rock solid. It can't miss on any of its obligations. It's got to be able to deliver on all of its obligations, whatever those are. And for that reason, he's also not buying back Berkshire stock even though it hit down below 170 briefly. Yeah, so what happened is he showed the um the balance sheet for for the first quarter and it showed that they had sold off all of their airline stocks and not really bought anything of significance. And then he said I don't have to show you this and I normally wouldn't, but this year I'm going to and he put up his April balance sheet which showed that they hadn't really bought anything of any significance. And then he basically said, like, that's just kind of how it is. He didn't really explain it. He said, we want to make sure that we have enough capital, we have enough money to be Fort Knox, as you just said, to um, to be ready for whatever happens. And we don't want to be dependent on the kindness of our friends, and we, or we don't want to be dependent on the kindness of our enemies, and we really don't want to be dependent on the kindness of our friends. And... Basically, he said that over and over, over the roughly like four hours of him talking without really saying anything more than that, which I thought was rather frustrating. (laughs) I would like him to just come out and say why he's conserving all of this money. It's because he thinks something really bad could happen, but he didn't actually come out and say that. He just kept saying like, we want to be ready. We don't know what's going to happen. There's no way to know. Nobody knows, but we're going to be ready. And the reason he spent a chunk of time on, on the economy's performance since 1789, right. With a focus on 1929 and 1951, Mm -hmm. which is a period of time that took the U S stock market well over 20 years to get back to where it was. Right. Right. So that should be a clue, I think. Yeah, it was this sort of juxtaposition of he spent the first 45 minutes giving like a basically a U.S. economic history lesson Mm -hmm. and ended it with that's why 
I believe in betting on America. I think anybody who bets on America is going to do fine. And then 22 years from now. <laughs> well, he didn't say that part, but that was clearly <laughs> no. The but I'm adding that. Yeah, that was bet clearly... on America. Put your money in an index fund, and 22 years from now, you'll break even. That was clearly the implication to stick with it. And yeah, which is from okay. there, he went to the balance sheets where he said, "You know, we didn't find anything attractive to buy." in March at the low of the market. He said people were starting to call him and Charlie right as the market got to that low around March 23rd, they were starting to get calls. And then he said that the second the fed acted and put all that money out there to be available to companies, um, the calls dried up and they got terms better than Berkshire would have given them from the government, from us, from the taxpayers. (laughs) We gave them terms better than Berkshire would have given them. So I'm really curious what you think about this, but what I got out of this, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of naturally leaning toward being um, less confident about the ability of the economy to come roaring back. And um, you're being less confident when last week you told me that it was probably going to be a depression and we were already in it. Now I'm thinking, wow, it's more than probably. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking that the impact of all of this shutdown, for example, the impact on travel, he talked about it briefly, is that there's Mm -hmm. a huge domino effect that goes on with the economy and employment. And so fewer people traveling means fewer jobs in all sorts of industries. True. Um, He also said that the energy and real estate and retail industries are all facing gigantic problems that are, are... likely to reverberate all the way through the economic system and into the banking system. And in spite of the fact that the banks are in better shape than they've ever been in history, probably. Um, and I think he added that this is a great time to borrow money. Yeah. Which he said Berkshire even borrowed money. Yeah. Amazing. And, and yet that means the flip side is it's not a great time to lend it. Right. And if you're a banker, you probably already figured that out. Right. So, man, alive, think about the industries that he highlighted there that are in a really bad, potentially in really bad trouble. Real estate, gigantic industry. All right. Um, and, and think about you. OK, you can borrow money, which is great for real estate, you'd think, except that people are going to be pulling back from buying stuff. Um, and if you are expecting that it's a bad time to lend, what could that mean? Maybe it means it's. Uh, interest rates are going to go up, in which case you don't want to lend long at a low interest rate. Um, the retail industries, we all know what's going on with shopping centers everywhere. They're just virtually shut down mm-hmm. and are trying to figure out a way to reopen. But are people going to congregate, right? I, I, I can tell you, I can answer that one. I, I can answer that one. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. People are going to congregate. We just sent... We just sent um, Hunter's girlfriend, Alexis, down to pick up something at Lowe's that we needed. And she had to wait two hours in the parking lot for them to bring this thing out. And um, (laughs) Oh, it was like you order online and pick up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they just were overloaded. The the parking lot, she said, was packed. Packed. Okay. I, I mean... Yeah, people are going to go to the shopping centers. There's no doubt in my mind. So I think that maybe the risk for retail shopping centers is, is a little over overstated if you have the right stores in there. 
So there, there's something there maybe we could invest in. And then the energy industry is a train wreck, obviously. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but the price of oil in the United States, in Texas, briefly hit minus $40 a barrel. Yeah, minus 37, I think, yeah. Okay, minus 37, fine. <laughs> Meaning, come and get it and I'll pay you to take it away. And it's currently hovering around 20, um, which adjusted for inflation means we're at lows, you know, historical lows. Um, yeah, of course we are, though. Like, this isn't, it's not just sort of like, oh my goodness. Can you? It's like we stopped using oil. So, yeah. Yeah, we stopped driving around. Plus, Saudi Arabia flooded the oil market at the same time. Like, yes, this is what happened. That it's, was brilliant, wasn't it? It was like, I saw it coming two months out. Like, this is happening, you know? And it's going to, frankly, not get better. Actually, I've been surprised that the price has bounced back so quickly, but it's not going to get better very quickly because we're not coming back to using the kind of oil that we used to use very quickly, but it I will mean, start to come back just, as people start flying and using offices and traveling again. So which brings us to the next question. Are people going to travel and fly and use offices? Some again? people will, some people will for sure. Okay, for sure. I'll buy that. People some are people already for still sure. flying. I mean, I see pictures online of people on airplanes and they're oh, packed. Man. What? The airplanes are packed. Airplanes. You see, in airplanes that are packed full of people. Yeah, because I and think are I think it's because I think it's because they're they running are. so few flights that, um, yeah, I don't know. Man, I'll tell you, there. there's no way I'm getting on an airplane. Well, there's me either, no but way. we don't have to, right? But if right. but if, if you, you were have to. if you were dying, I would get on an airplane, right? Like, oh, in, no, but you know what I, I would mean. tell I'm you not, not to. I would I'm say not being I'm sappy dying. about it. I'm saying like there are situations in which you're like, all right, the benefit outweighs the price here. I'm going to get on that airplane. And lots of people are in those situations. Well, I would tell you, I'm dying. I don't want you to come and get this. Stay home and we'll zoom right up until the last second. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look at, look at, there's another industry. So, that's just... a gigantic industry that's in trouble, right? Which one? Okay, I, I still I'm astonished. I, I the cruise lines, of course, would be the last place I would ever go, right? Well, yeah. And they're full. They're full for the fall. <laughs> apparently, apparently, no one thinks like me, and they're all just going to go get on a cruise ship together. I know. Like, okay, I know. So, so I do struggle a bit with these sort of doomsday views that no one's going to go back to real life because I think we've also seen it. Yes, not as widespread, but we've seen it like after SARS and after MERS. We saw that in Asia, they went back to normal life, but a lot of them wore masks and it became normal in Asia to wear a mask around and wear it when you're traveling on an airplane. And people in the West, were, you know, generally didn't do that. And if you do it, you get weird looks. And I think we're going to start to, to, that's going to become more normal across the entire world. But people are still going to get on the airplane they're just going to wear the mask so well, i think i think there's one thing about berkshire that that gives buffett an insight that we should pay attention to for sure and that's how broadly diversified they are and how many industries they're in deeply yeah, yeah. with some of the best people in the in, in those industries working directly for buffett so he gets to talk to them Yes, um, like they have incredible like data be able to. across yeah. the economic spectrum, like exactly. unbelievable view. And so here's why I think the stuff I'm saying and you're saying, like people are going to congregate, people are going to like go to the mall, people are going to go on cruise ships, people are going to Yes, all of that I think is right. And that's why Buffett didn't come out and say, hey guys, we've got a huge problem here. 
But the question is, if the virus comes back in a major way and we don't have a treatment and we don't have a vaccine, then that's when all bets are off. And I think that's why he was sort of saying over and over, like, I don't know what's going to happen. It could be bad. It could be fine. But I don't know what's going to happen. And so Berkshire is prepared either way. Right. Exactly. And for us, what this means to me actually is that um, <clears throat> Berkshire, I'm going to take it that Buffett is, you know, making Berkshire Fort Knox. Okay. But you and I don't have to be Fort Knox. We don't have to uh, be prepared from because of obligations to pour out billions of dollars. We, we mm -hmm. don't have to do that. We're not backstopping anything except us. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to be Fort Knox to us, but not to anybody else. We're not obligated to anybody else for anything. And that changes the picture quite dramatically in terms of our uh, uh, comparing Berkshire's survivability to our own survivability. Berkshire has to be able to deliver on all of its obligations as an insurance company. Yeah. And 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 to keep all of its sub businesses going properly where it might need capital. Um, we don't have to deal with that. We just have to be us, get us through this, right? And so if if we are and I, and what that might mean though is that we got to watch out for our jobs, right? Make sure that we're going to be employed. And if there's a lot of um of companies that have shut down, then there's going to be a lot of people unemployed. And if you're not, if you're not one of them, you know, thank the good Lord, right? You're in an industry that is doing all right. Um, but some of you are going to be in industries that are not doing all right. And that means you're going to act very conservatively with your money. You're not going to put your money into things that can go down and leave you with half of your capital when you might need your capital. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. you, you're going to be very, very careful about how you use that cash. And, um, and what that means to me is uh, there is a little bit of, of a similarity between Berkshire and the way we're thinking. If, you, if you're worried about your job, then you do have an obligation to your family and you're going to have to hold on to cash to make sure you're able to handle that and uh, do whatever you have to. Borrow, borrow a bunch of money. Okay, now this is not a pen, this is not my advice to you and it's not a recommendation. No. It's just an opinion. Yeah, it's go. an opinion here. I don't know about that opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to give you an opinion, and and um, and take it as education and entertainment only. But I'm going to give you this opinion, and my opinion would be if I were in that situation where I had limited cash, and I was working a job that might go away, I would immediately go borrow as much money as I could against my house. Um, I would go borrow on a personal credit line if I could get it. I would load up on cash right now at this ridiculously low interest rate that's out there. You know, we're talking about 3% or something, even 5%. My, historically, all the time I've been an adult, 5% was like nirvana if you could ever get 5%, which you could never get until just recently. So I, I don't know if you would agree with this, Danielle, but that's what I would do. I would gather in cash I would hoard it. I wouldn't spend it. I'm not going to go out and spend it. I'm just going to make sure that I've got coverage. And and the reason I'm going to do that is because they can't throw me into debtor prison. They can't beat me to get the money back. Um, I do have bankruptcy protection. I can go bankrupt. I certainly don't want to. But I'm going to behave just like the CEOs of companies that are getting in trouble. 
They're doing that very same thing right now. They are going out and borrowing every cent they've got. Boeing just did that. They borrowed down every cent they could get in their revolving credit lines and everybody else. Berkshire is even borrowing money, like you just said. Well, if it's right for them, then it's you got to think about it. And, and I and I know there's an ethic about not being in debt. You know, certainly that's very good advice. But it's only good advice if you have a job. If you don't have a job and you need to feed your family and you need to have a cushion against five years of economic disaster, you are going to wish that you had another hundred grand in the bank. You're going to wish you did. And if the downside of getting your hands on another $100,000 is that you have to go bankrupt because you can't pay it back, well, oh my, you know, that is not being taken out and put against a wall and being shot, all right? You're not going to prison. Take advantage of the system to protect yourself. The people I'm talking to are the little guys. They're not the big guys. They're not people with lots of Lots of uh, options that you can exercise on. You know, you oh, I lost this job, but I'm really well educated. I can go get that job. I am talking to the people who are not in that position. They they lose that job. They're not going to get another job. It just aren't going to be jobs for that. I think the debt can be very very scary and really put you in a massive hole. And going bankrupt is not the uh, panacea that you're making it sound. It follows you. Wait, wait. Walk me through. I I, I think panacea is a little bit loaded, but walk me through why um, borrowing $100,000, losing your job, not being able to pay it back, they're foreclosed on your house, right? These are all really rough time stuff, but you've got a hundred grand and you go bankrupt. You go bankrupt. You know, you're not allowed to go bankrupt with a hundred grand in your bank account, right? You're spending the money as you're going. You're not going to go bankrupt until you're broke. Yeah. But I mean, look at, compare that to not doing it. You don't have a job. You've still got a mortgage. You still lose your house. Anyway, you know, you you got a $300,000 house. I think it's a, a lot to say. And I think we don't, I, I want nothing to do with that advice or recommendation or opinion for people. I think that okay, you is. You guys can put this all on me. And if I'm hearing from regulatory authorities about how terrible that is, then I'm just going to refer to them to the CEO of Boeing. Go <laughs> talk to him. If he can do it, why can't the little guy do it? Why can't the little guy do it to protect his family? And if things get bad, then you okay. You you take advantage. I mean, bankruptcy laws are there for a reason. We we don't want people to suffer endlessly for a financial error. And look, this isn't even a financial error that you created. This is a coronavirus disaster. And if you can take uh, some degree of refuge by getting loans right now, if banks are willing to give you loans, then you're credit worthy. Yeah. And why don't we say saying, instead, why don't we say instead, hmm, take hmm, advantage hmm. of the opportunities that are available to us right now for the, the PPP, the unemployment options that are out there, take advantage of the stuff that isn't going to create a permanent not not permanent, but how long is bankruptcy That's last? Right. Seven not years. Permanent. It's seven seven years. year huge problem, but it is permanent because you do have to say on forms if you've ever declared bankruptcy for the rest of your life. So yeah. it is permanent. 
Now, yeah, I am not right. a financial right advisor. That. I am not a financial planner. I am not a financial anything. But I feel very uncomfortable with the opinion that you just said. So well, that's I right. want to make in sure opinion, I put that out there. The stuff opinion, you're being follows you. I, well, I am a very conservative person. And here's the problem. People who have assets and education don't see the world the same way that people who don't have those things see it. I mean, you've never been in a position like I've been in in my life. And so I don't think, I don't think it's fair for you to, to say that, it, that it's, it's a wrong idea to, to take advantage in every way of the, of the system. I think you should do that if you're if you're a family that doesn't have those kind of of opportunities doesn't have those kinds of advantages in your life. I would say dang it, you get the cash where you can get it. If somebody'll lend it to you, then they think you're worth the risk and they're hedging that risk out there in many ways that you don't know anything about. So take advantage of it. And I honestly, I I'm just that guy. I would I would do that for my family if I thought I needed to. I would do that to protect you if I thought I needed to. And if I suffered a loss of my credibility because I went through a bankruptcy, I also happen to know that the year after you go bankrupt is, you know, people are massively willing to lend you money. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, guess why? What do you mean you happen to know that? I just happen to know that. I've seen people go bankrupt and they're astonished at what happens on the other end of it. You okay. come out of bankruptcy and guess what? People want to lend you money. You know why? Why? You can't go bankrupt again for a certain number of years. Oh my gosh. That yeah. is so messed up. Welcome to the real world. And and by the way, do not be a martyr to your credit uh, score, okay? Um, you got to do what you got to do. And if you're buried under debt and you lose your job in this whole pandemic, you know, don't, in my view, uh, you know, this is just my opinion, okay? But in my view... Don't be plagued by the bill collectors that are going to just harass you to death um, when these companies sell your loan to them and they you, it's turned over to professional collectors who will just climb down your chimney. And the only thing that stops them is bankruptcy. You can bankrupt yourself right out of those situations. And I would. What are you doing? I'm just like blown away right now. Really? Yeah. I, you think this is terrible advice? I don't think it's good advice. No. It's not advice. It's not advice. <laughs> I just want to say. Jeez. <laughs> it's an opinion, and I admit it's aggressive. And I admit it's a little radical. And I admit it, um, it would be seen by many people who are in mainstream positions to be unethical. I got yeah, that. I'd like to go back to Buffett, our topic for today. Who? Well, we're we're all out about of Buffett whose, right now. Out of whose mouth I certainly don't think those words would ever come. No, I think they wouldn't. He's sitting on forty billion dollars. No, he's not going to say stuff like that. No, come on. I mean, the guy like came out of not nothing, but a reasonably middle-class family. He is not like some guy who grew up on Park Avenue. He knows what, what it is to his, be relatively normal, right? And his dad ran a brokerage and represented the United States in the House of Representatives. He's not normal. 
His dad also basically lost everything in 1929, which he talked about in the meeting, which was really interesting because he said that the clients stopped, like he was kind of embarrassed to be around the clients that he had sold stocks to because then all the stocks crashed and he lived in small town Omaha and he had recommended to these people that they buy and then they lost most of their money. And so they, he wasn't able to sell stocks anymore. And um, I think he said, is this right? He said his grandfather owned a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so his grandfather said, I'll give you, and they had no money. So his grandfather said, I'll give you groceries um, on credit and you can pay the bill later. And Buffett was like, Buffett was like, he wasn't so generous, my grandpa. He was a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't like the characterization of him as some guy who, like, grew up super privileged. I think he would disagree with that. I think he he certainly says he grew up very privileged in the sense of having all the opportunity in the world. But, uh, you know, he wasn't rich. Yeah. I'm 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 just thinking Buffett is not an example of somebody who's normal or who grew (laughs) up normal. He's not normal. Fair enough. Um, and so leaving behind this controversy, um, Good. I, I leave it to y'all out there to figure out what you want to do and whether you think it's unethical and, you know, to go after money you may not be able to repay. I think it's highly unethical and mm-hmm. highly dangerous to one's future. So do you think it's highly unethical for, I'm just a really serious question. Do you think it's highly unethical for Boeing to borrow down its term loans? Is that also highly unethical? No, because I think and they if have. Not, why is a... that not? But why is it wrong for me? I didn't why say is it, it was wrong for you. For, why, is it, why is it unethical said, for a plumber listen, to, to go out and borrow money he doesn't know if he can repay? When I think Boeing thinks very strongly in the 99% kind of very strongly that it will repay that money. There are many companies that have drawn down on their lines of credit in the last two months. They think they're going to be able to repay it. They're trying to bridge. It's a bridge loan. They're trying to bridge the gap here and get back to normal earnings. So I think Boeing definitely thinks it'll pay that money back. I don't well, think Boeing's going going around going well. We can't wait to not pay this. Well, I it's agree. Be fantastic I think they... for all of our careers. No, but they also <laughs> understand that they wouldn't get lent the money if they didn't have assets to cover it. And those assets are, in fact, covering those loans. And so that's how those people are going to get paid back. Doesn't mean Boeing's not going to go bankrupt. Absolutely, they could go bankrupt. I mean, I don't well, that think they will. Have I think any, you're right. They'll still pay the loans back even if they go bankrupt. Yeah, they'll pay them back or most of them back after the insane administrative expenses of a bankruptcy. But the, the fact is the CEO is going to absolutely rely on the protection of bankruptcy laws. He knows that um, those lenders are going to lend based on that kind of protection. And that's the same thing with just a little guy. The lender's not going to give you money if he doesn't think you're going to get it back to him, especially now, right? Yes, but you have just said that your opinion is that you should take money and then basically plan not to pay it back. No, I didn't say okay, that. Good. What? I'm really glad to hear that. No, I didn't say that. I said that if you that what you should do right now is if you think there's a chance you can go you, you're you're going to be disrupted in your revenue. Let's put it like that. You're going to have a serious revenue disruption that the wise thing to do would be to copy the CEO of Boeing and many other major companies and load up on cash as quickly as you can. 
In fact, Warren Buffett basically said, this is a very good time to borrow money. Which Go is what it. the loans that are out there are for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you just, <laughs> did you just agree with me? So if Boeing's doing it in order to protect themselves from damage down the road, they're willing to get, you know, a much worse bank looking, a much worse balance sheet in order to have have avenues to escape the problem. And that's the problem of not having as much revenue as they had in the past. That's the same mm -hmm. problem some of you are going to have. You're not going to have as much revenue as you had in the past. Get cash now to cover you, to bridge over to when you can figure this out and when the economy starts to return and when you can get a better a job. And, and then and then if you have to, as you said, you know, you can't go bankrupt with $100,000 in the bank, agreed. But if you have to use the money to, to get finally down to that place where you are going to make it uh, back into a job, you might burn down the whole 100000 and you will be thanking the good Lord you have it. And that's why Boeing took that money in. It may need it to get to that point where the airline industry recovers. I mean, that's why Southwest it is may. borrowing as much money as they can right now. Mm-hmm. And they don't know for sure that there will be a recovery. Nobody knows for sure. And therefore, it is entirely possible that two or three airlines would go bankrupt in the next four or five years. Two I think they, it's less I think they're, for Boeing. they're very confident that they're going to recover. I think the question is, how long is it going to take? Well, okay, and let's be specific. They're very comfortable that they're going to recover because the federal government is lending them a Huge amount of money. Huge. Yeah, and that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and they think that they are going then, and the reason they're doing that is because the federal government thinks they're a critical industry. Nobody thinks you're a critical industry, hate to tell you, but nobody's <laughs> coming to your rescue except you. Mm -hmm. And you better start rescuing yourself ahead of when you need it. The, the worst thing about banks is they will only lend you money when you don't need it. So if you don't need it right now, go get a pile of it. And if you need it right now, I'm sorry, but you're probably not going to be able to get it too late. <clears throat> yeah. So word to the wise, follow the, the examples of the best CEOs in America who are in trouble right now, and they are all loading their balance sheet with debt as fast as they can get it, as much as they can get it. So you should do the same thing, I think. I mean, that's just an opinion. I'm just saying it's just an opinion. It's just an but opinion. But I do not see why that is any less ethical than what Boeing's doing. So let's get Seems back to, to Buffett and Berkshire All Hathaway. Right. So I won that one, didn't I? You're, you're bailing <laughs> on me. <laughs> what did you think about Greg Evil sitting next to Buffett and making comments? Well, I think that's an obvious, you know, indication of who's going to take over if Warren gets sick this year and dies. I think absolutely. I mean, he's pointing to Greg Abel. I don't, I don't, I, and Greg is younger than, than, Ajit Jain, and that's probably why Ajit isn't up there. Um, I mean, he's just an avowed genius, and Buffett's been raving about him for years. But you got to you got to get a new guy in there, and you probably want to get a guy who's not seventy. You know, it's like it's like Charlie Munger's Charlie Munger's board meeting at Daily Journal. It's like we've just brought in a new director who's seventy five, which dropped the average age of the board by ten years or something. Just yeah, like, that was funny. You know, it was really funny. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You've got two two really superstars there, and I think you pick the younger one. 
I mean, it's not a final pick, but I think that's an indication of who's going to be running Berkshire. I mean, obviously, it's a very strong indication of confidence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure, as, for to, sure. as to that question of who runs. Yeah, I don't know. But I found that he was, I don't know, he was all right. Like, I didn't really feel like he added that much. He didn't, he definitely lacks the sort of interesting talk that the, the Buffett banter. gives and the banter and the stories and the, you know, right. ways of explaining things that make Buffett so interesting. And and obviously hardly anybody's is like Buffett. He's one exactly. of a kind, but exactly. it was very much like, if this is the future, <laughs> I don't know how much, uh, how much longer people are going to get too excited about it, but who knows? Well, I feel a bit bad saying question. that. It's an interesting um, question about Berkshire itself. I mean, Buffett was pretty clear that um, in, in previous to the meeting that, or prior to the meeting, that he wouldn't think Berkshire is massively undervalued right now. Um, he, he Basically, that if no. you were to sell off Berkshire in pieces and pay the taxes uh, and the liabilities, pay all that off, um, by the time you cleared all the tax bill, um, which would be enormous, you would have a break even more or less. And um, that might've been a little sobering for Berkshire investors because the stock went down 10% this morning already. Well, not just that. He also answering the question about why they didn't buy the stock back in March. It wasn't just that they want to conserve money. Although I think personally, I think that's the main reason, but, and why would he spend money buying Berkshire stock unless he had nothing else to do? Um, But it was also because he said the intrinsic value of Berkshire went down last month. First of all, he lost, what was it, $6 billion on the airline investment. And then yep. um, many of their businesses have been really adversely affected by the um, shutdown of businesses. So he said Berkshire's intrinsic value has changed. And so he didn't really think that actually the price change showed a massive discount the way it would have seemed. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So well, I don't. I wasn't real surprised by that. The fact that he didn't buy a lot of Berkshire. He did oh, buy I some. wasn't either. They've been buying a little. I mean, a little is a few billion dollars worth. Um, Not six, in March or April. Billion. No, but over the last year. Oh yeah, yeah. When it when it was higher, they bought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but they didn't buy a lot, and so to me, it's been. He's been saying right along. Um, more. I I think what I'm hearing from Buffett is more we're going to see a time when we can buy Berkshire really cheap. Yeah. And then that's we're going to hit it. We're not gonna I think it's it that it's, it's that plus we would rather buy, you know, some massive awesome business at a 75% discount because we're the only ones who can, because we're yeah. the only ones with a hundred billion dollars to spare and still leave 40 billion on the balance sheet to cover all of our expenses and random uh, obligations that come up. So yep. I think that's what he's hoping for. And he doesn't want a penny ante little purchases here and there. Right. Not and that he's hoping the... for that. He doesn't want the U.S. to crash, but I think he he sees it as a possibility. And I think we should, too. I, I do, too. I think, I mean, I think we're going to wrap up here. But my prescription for me is going to be sit tight, be patient. Charlie said we make money when we wait. That's what I'm planning on doing. Um, we've certainly picked up a couple of companies we thought were, were pretty nicely priced and, and they've gone down from where we bought them and we want to buy more. Um, but we're sitting in a lot in cash and I think that that's, um, I'm very, very comfortable with that right now. 
that this market will look a lot worse. I think there's a very good chance this market will look a lot worse in a year than it looks right now. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see if that's true. Yeah, we'll see. He didn't answer, or Becky DeQuick didn't ask my question, which I was bummed about. My Go question ahead, I'll was <laughs> <laughs> My question was, considering that we're in a recession, so many small and medium businesses are going bankrupt and not gonna come back. People are losing their jobs, unemployment is at a massive high. Do you think that Wall Street is completely divorced from the plight of Main Street? Ooh, that's a very sophisticated question. Thank you. Wow. What do you think the answer is? I think it is divorced. And I think we're going to look back and go, these, you know, what's the, what was that Occupy Wall Street thing? We're going to look back and go, these like fat cat rich people were sending stocks way up with no justification, except for a few. Some of them are doing well legitimately and have good earnings, but the rest of them don't. And yet, for some reason, Wall Street has suddenly gone long term, mysteriously, and companies with no earnings, they're going, oh, but in a year, they'll be fine. It doesn't make yeah, right. any sense. And uh, I think, I think at the same so time, people are losing Street. their jobs. And it's not just jobs. It's small and medium businesses are many of them are not going to come back. And they That's weren't right. able to get the loans from the government because the U.S. government screwed up the process and. That's a whole other story, but it's really um, discouraging, and I just don't see these these two. I don't know. It's like these two opposing forces, but they're not really opposing, but they kind of are, and they just don't make sense together. I really wanted to hear from him about that. Like this market is is almost back at its high. Like why, considering all the data, why? But nobody asked him that. Well, I can tell you why. <laughs> why dad and i and i think i'm <clears throat> very likely to be right and that is that the market meaning the vast majority of mar uh, money in the market is run by professional fund managers who have learned over the last decade that you should never fight the fed it's a it's a fact of life and it's a it's like a headline don't fight the fed hmm. and anybody that's fought the fed meaning if the federal reserve is raising interest rates you think the market's going to go up and you buy stocks and it goes down like a brick because you fought the fed hmm. they raise interest rates market goes down they drop interest rates market goes up these guys have learned that over and over and over and over again and they're fundamentally traders even though the so-called long-term investors don't hold stocks more than about 3 months and they're judged on their three-month performance. Heck, they're judged on a one-month performance. You know, a year is forever. You know, a year is like, you know, light years away. So you, you, you may not have a job in a year. You better perform now. And so they can't sit there and wait while their peer group jumps in as the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates to zero and promises with the federal government to put in $6 trillion. They can't wait. If they wait, they're going to look so stupid in three weeks, which they did. Anybody that waited looked like an idiot. The yeah. market jumped back, boom. And so yeah. guess what? They, they've made it more volatile. They're jumping in just out of pure momentum guessing. Nothing to do with Main Street. Nothing to do with what's going to happen in a year. Absolutely blind to it. Out of necessity to protect their jobs. That's why it went jacking back up. There you go. All right, we're going to leave it there. Oh, I'm right again. <laughs> <laughs> Do right not. Here.
take silence as agreement. <laughs> well, I love you, <laughs> to honey. To do so I'm glad would be an error well. of massive proportions. <laughs> well, give my love to Nuno and uh, and stay healthy. And you all stay healthy out there too, you guys. And we'll uh, be talking to you next week. Time to go. Yeah. Play. Thanks, you guys. And next week, we're going to have an interview um, with Dan Heath, who wrote this great book called Upstream. So check that out. And then we'll be back talking about companies because we've promised you guys good companies that we like. And that's good what's depression, coming. Depression good, good depression companies. Right on. We'll get onto that list. All right. <laughs> time to go. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.